continue on here on a Wednesday morning. Texas Radio presented by David Gardner Jewelers here in the Rollo Insurance Studio. Got the NIT going on uh, tonight. Looking forward to that matchup at 6 o'clock. Reed Arena, A&M, and Wake Forest. Uh, we need to also look back at the Pro Day with Billy Lucci, executive editor, co-owner of Texas, who joins us on the BCSI hotline. Good morning, Billy. Good morning, David. Great intro song. Phil Collins, Invisible Touch, puts me in a good mood. Was that on the Sasudio album? I don't, I don't know, but I like that one, too. I'm a big fan. Uh, Billy, don't you lose my number. There's a lot of people over there in that building whose number I'm going to be losing real soon, <laughs> and particularly ones that text and call me multiple times before 7 a.m. You don't like that, that uh, early morning text we got? No, just get, get your crap done without involving me if it happens. Or seven. Don't break the 8.30 texting embargo. Yeah, exactly. well, I did respond on the thread that you were on, so I apologize for that, Billy. Well, why don't we talk about some of the big news today? Uh, Joni Taylor there named the uh, new head coach. Yeah, no, I, that's that's an exciting hire, I think, for, for women's basketball. Um, you look at what she's done in Georgia. She seems to be like a, a real up-and-comer, not only on the court but on the recruiting front as well, um, and just someone that I think that's a terrific hire. And to go, and there's always something to be said for hiring within the SEC. I do think having an understanding of not only the opponents in your league, but also the recruiting landscape and uh, some of the battles you're going to have to fight. I think it's, I mean, I think all the way to college football, you're, I mean, your hand in Brian Kelly is this, this, you know, gold mine of talent in Louisiana, and you're handing them a job that the like, like people have said, the last three have won national titles at. But it, I still think it's a difficult. Like, he, I think he's going to get smacked in the face a few times, having no real familiarity with the SEC or the South. So I, I think that's something because the SEC is kind of a league of its own in so many of these sports, and women's basketball is certainly one of them, to have a knowledge of, of again, like I said, not only your opposition, but what it takes to to win championships in this league and, and some of the battles you're going to have to fight and win on the recruiting front, which which Joni has done already at Georgia, uh, I think it, it, it adds to the significance of the hire, and I think it's pretty pretty dang exciting hire for them, for uh, Ross Bjork. Make. Billy, I saw you find the good fight on Twitter yesterday, as you always do when it comes to AM. Just your overall thoughts and what you saw uh, with the vibe yesterday at Pro Day. Yeah, I thought, you know, people, people, and I just got off SEC radio with Burns and Doring, and, and Burns started off like, should that, should we be concerned with that? And I said, no, I think the only, you know, I think, unfortunately, Jalen should be concerned. Why am I? I wish, I, I really was hoping to see him run a faster time for his sake. Uh, look, I, I, ne- I knew that Jalen wasn't – the speed was never the strength of his game. Um, he was like a big guy that when he got the ball in stride could rumble, you know, and you were going to have a hard time bringing him down. But I don't think anyone that's watched him play, and, and if they did, then you weren't – you just – I guess you were just choosing to ignore something. Like, he was not going to be – 
a guy that ran a fast 40 at pro day, I would have hoped he would have run faster than he did. That's the only thing. Like if you'd have told me over under at four, eight, five, four, nine, even I would have said, Oh man, that's a tough one. You know, I would have thought he was maybe being the four high four, eight. And that would have been with a lot of, you know, training, but to come in at you know, in the mid four, you know, five O's, that's that's a problem for him. It's something that he's going to now have to overcome, and I, I don't know if he'll be able to overcome it between now and draft day in terms of his his stock taking a big hit. But uh, those other guys, like no, Isaiah, ran a fine time for what the way Isaiah plays the game. I don't think I think that's about what everyone would have expected. He would have run. Uh, I talked to some, you know, like Michael Clemens on that side of things. He ran a four eight. Um, I think that's about. You watch his tape. That's about what you'd expect. He, you know, I think he was hopeful he could have run a little bit faster. But Michael Clemens helped himself as much as anybody yesterday. I think he and Hansford really helped themselves. Uh, and I, I walked away for kind of the, you know, the opposite of what you were hearing about Weidemeyer. I walked away with people saying. Clemens could go, you know, Zerline said second, third. I talked to two other scouts I've known for a long time that said fourth seems to be the floor for him. Third is the most likely landing spot. So Clemens continues his rise. Those other guys are like Kenyon Green, going to be a first-round pick. He should be. Um, Leon O'Neal, what, what's one thing that we've always said about Leon? You know, it's the one only thing he really lacked is just he just wasn't a fast safety. Now, what did he run yesterday, David? Was it a four seven? Yeah, four seven. What did he run at the combine? Four six three. Ballpark. You yep. wish he could. You'd wish he could have built on that. You know, like if you ran a four six three or whatever at the combine. I don't know. Am I wrong? And you're just holding out, or are you just guessing here? I, I, I'm I'm googling. Okay, I thought it was. I thought he said four six three. My point is, he could have got improved on that to like a four five nine. That would have been really significant. Kind of went the other way with it, but that's that's why Leon's not going to be a first or second round pick. We've all known that. Scouts know that. You know, it's more about how did he look in drill work? How did he look in the shuttle thing? How did his footwork look? What was his first ten yard? You know, a lot of those things. They know he's not. Good. They, they, I'm sure if you ask any scout there, they'd say yeah, he'd be a four six, you know, in the four sixes. So, I, I again, this was not the fastest group to come test. We learned that at the combine. Um, My Google search year, says he didn't run the forty at the uh, combine. Okay. Well, he. I don't know where his four six three came from then, but uh, four seven then. But look. This is not the fastest group at the combine. Now, next year, when the guys at the top of it are likely to be a couple of juniors and Devon A. Chain and Antonio Johnson, and then uh, uh, Nia Smith is a senior, Damani Richardson as a senior, I think you're going to see a lot more, you know, speed times that catch your eye and things like that. Now, you know, I, and I also think you'll see AM extend their streak of first round picks. So, again, there was some shade thrown yesterday, and it's, it's just funny because when people throw him shade, a lot of them, he went five and seven. A lot of other ones, team went 500 and fired their coach. And another group also lost their coach to USC. I'm talking about Texas, LSU, and OU. Okay? 
they were the main ones uh, that seemed to be concerned with it uh, outside of College Station. So maybe tend to your own house. And in the case of Texas, I would say I'm looking at Aggies are still going to have several guys, not one, but several guys drafted rounds one to three versus, I believe, none on the other side of things. Billy, I don't want to read too much into Texans having a GM and a head coach here, but what does it say when you have, I know it's 90 miles down the road and it's an easy trip, but I don't remember that being an often thing, seeing both a head coach and a GM, maybe for Johnny's pro day. I don't remember if Bill O'Brien came. I think yeah. Rick Smith was here. But, I mean, what does that mean anything to you? Well, I think maybe O'Brien's here. I'm not even sure of that. But that was not just Johnny. That was, you know, Johnny, Mike, Mike Evans, Jake Matthews. There were three first-round picks that year. So that's a different – and that was a, a, an outlier, right? I think it means, David, just that, again, like, I didn't even mention Marv, and his stock has fallen since he entered his name in the draft, but he still, I don't know what round he goes. I still think he ends up, you end up seeing him in the second. And if it's the third, that'd be disappointing for him. But still, you're talking about, again, is it three? Is it four? Is it five guys going in the first three rounds? You know, we'll have to see. But that, that's a lot of talent. And there were years when A&M would have a first round pick, and then Nobody go till sixth, seventh round, and that's what Coach Sumlin was always saying. We've got to build this depth. We've got to build this depth. Well, here we are, and we're talking about maybe a half dozen or more draft picks. We're talking about a handful in the first three rounds. We're talking about a likely first rounder at the top in Kenyon Green, and I mentioned what's coming next year with those handful of guys. So, and, and oh, by the way. The real talent is down there with the freshmen and you know the first and second year guys that everyone's so excited about in the program. The true freshman class coming in, the number one class of all time. So it, it is building. That's what it says, David. Is there's more than one player here that NFL teams are very interested in, and it's trending the right way in terms of uh, this becoming an every single year thing moving forward. What uh, kind of feedback did you get on Isaiah Spiller? Again, I I still think I still think Isaiah will be one of the top running backs picked and and probably second round and if he goes third round then I'd be I think that I still think that would be a little surprise to me but that Spiller did exactly what they thought he did they thought he looked good physically I think he I even talked to some A M people say he looked better than he has at any point here physically you know like his 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 build and stuff and. With Isaiah, it's more about it's about the tape, and it's about him as a pass catcher. It's about his, you know, like we always talk about the footwork and the ability to get uh, from taking the handoff through that first wave and get through the wash there with with his ability to make that first guy miss. So those are all things that aren't going to show up in testing. And no one that I talk to, not a one, uh, so much as batted an eye in terms of like the fact that he wasn't a, a you know a four or five guy in fact some of them did clock him in the four or five so it is what it is talking to billy lucci on the bcsi hotline billy i i, I do want to ask you about the way football is moving and you know 
there was su- such a long period of time where your combine, your pro day meant the world. I think football has shifted a little bit to what's on the film. But the immediate reaction is what we saw yesterday. Are you getting a sense, though, players like Watermeyer, players like Isaiah, players like DeMarvin, that their, their film is going to do the most talking? Well, they should hope so. You know, I mean, and again, they, they weren't testing guys. And I thought Marv was going to really impress, you know, in drills, and that was where, you know, people were going to wow, because he is such a unique athlete at his size. But I think a lot of that more is, is more like those that, you know, coming out of his stance and, and beating blocks with explosion and just really unique agility and flexibility for a guy his size. So that's why I don't even know if, like, the cone drills and things like that, if it really even you know, now that I'm sitting here revisiting it, but it's not like a Von Miller and Miles Garrett, these guys that you just know are going to go to the combine and just, it's just going to be off the, you know, off the dang charts. Like what A-Chain should do next year. Um, it, it's just not, it's not going to be that way with him. And so, yeah, you, you hope they go off tape, in, particularly with Isaiah. Isaiah was a pretty elite SEC back during his time here, you know. And I think Marv had a much better uh, sophomore than junior year, so that kind of got that ball rolling where it was going to hurt him a little bit. But I think still go back and watch, you know, this guy in some big games against some really good teams, and he can be pretty dominant at times. I'd go back and maybe watch some of these Alabama games. Okay, this is what his ceiling is. So somebody, I think, in the second round, is going to, a couple teams are going to have a really tough decision because you're going to be like, man, is this guy going to be here on our next pick? Could we possibly steal him with our next one? And then they're going to be like, gosh, but he's got first-round talent. Do we take him now? So Marv, to me, is going to be the most interesting one out there. But I did have somebody tell me yesterday, and you know, said, if you look at these guys out here, Clemens looks like a first-round pick along with Kenyon Green. And I'm not saying Clemens is going to go round one, but he's going to go a lot higher, I think, than people believe. How did Nick Strzokel look? You know what? I can't say, David, because the way we were positioned, I just didn't get a really good good look at him. So I I can't say. But I, I saw some tape and some video, and... Look, that's perfect setting for Nick. Is throwing the football in the pro day. I mean, I'm, I think I'm sure he looked outstanding whipping it around. And he's going to get a shot in the NFL. Some team's going to either draft him really late, or they're going to sign him as a free agent. In a situation might even be better where he can kind of pick uh, kind of the right situation for a guy that's going to be you know a free agent addition somewhere with hopes of sticking on. I thought it was cool that he was there. Um, couple guys really. Uh, Josh Rogers went up to Buffalo, came back. Uh, you had Fuller went over to Tulsa, came back. I always like that, and I always like that that door is open for these guys uh, to be able to get that exposure. With like you said, like all the GMs and all the teams, every team represented there, and these guys get that exposure. You're just not going to get at San Jose State, at Tulsa, or at Buffalo. You know when you're not a projected you know, first, second round pick. 
Hey, Billy, tonight, obviously, NIT, um, Buzz yesterday said that Wake is better at all these categories. No gimme, obviously, tonight, but uh, a real big one for what it, what it means, you know, just for Quentin's last home game and, you know, just wh- where this program is. Oh, I mean, we've talked it into the ground, and rightfully so. I mean, this this game is so significant, not just for the, for the, the veterans, you know, the uh, senior like Quentin, but also for the program moving forward. I mean, look, they have a chance to win the most games in program history. They have a chance to finish a season with wins over programs like, you know, Florida, Auburn, Arkansas, uh, Oregon, Wake Forest out of the ACC, Xavier, um, and I didn't even check. Did did Virginia win? Are they still going or, or... I mean, a chance to really win over a lot of name programs down the stretch, get to Madison Square Garden, and and most importantly, I think just in the moment, is to cut down some net. This is a team that deserves a shot and I think would have still been playing in the NCAA tournament. I think they would have advanced to the second weekend. And who knows where your draw is. You might have been playing St. Peter's to go to the Elite Eight, like Purdue. I mean, you just don't know. What would have happened? It could have been a good matchup. It could have been A&M springing an upset like they did against Auburn and Arkansas. So you just don't know what this team could have done. And unfortunately, we never will. So I think because they got that kind of taken from them, and I don't care how the SEC did, it doesn't change the fact. I don't care how Michigan's doing. To me, Michigan still playing tells you that A&M could have still been playing. Because they had every bit as good a resume. Every bit, if not better. So. Yeah, like when I'm watching it, I absolutely think they should still be playing. I think it got taken from them. And I think it would be just a really cool moment for those guys. I think it would be kind of karma in a good way if they could go over there and and cut down some nets in freaking Madison Square Garden. And then we know uh, the significance of that for the program moving forward. And by the way, guys like Henry Coleman, Wade Taylor, Manny, Boots, uh, Hefner, all these guys, like if you get to go out there and, and run through a, a tournament where you have to win, what is it, five games to get to the championship and you have to beat teams like Oregon and Wake Forest and you know Xavier or whoever else and to to run through that gauntlet and, and I know it's not it's not like SEC football gauntlet we're talking about here. It's not like running to the championship of March Madness, but those are real teams, and a lot of them had their own gripes about not getting in the tournament. And it just, you learn something that next year, if they do go in this tournament, and they do make a little run, uh, you certainly, having this experience of, you know, one game, then another right after that, then a few days off, then prepare for, you know, back, you know, one day in between type situations, they don't typically get a chance to do this kind of stuff. So it certainly helps, especially when every one of those is a season-ending situation. Billy, we appreciate it. I'll uh, talk to you later. I'll probably see you tonight. All right, Dave. Thank you, sir. Billy Lucci there on the BCSI Hotline. Appreciate his time, as always. Right now, let's talk Heritage Films. My buddy Chance McClain 
yourheritagefilm.com is the website. They make documentary films about you, your dad, your family. Uh, it can be about anybody that's important to you. And uh, they do such great work. Chance is the single most creative guy I know. He's done Broadway musical. He's done Hollywood movies, red carpet shows. I mean, the guy's done it all. Started a radio station, was the program director, an unorthodox style of radio that he, he brought. Uh, he's a down-to-earth guy. Um, and and the, the, real, the, the real skill that he has, it's not even a skill. It's just who he is. He's, he just knows how to connect with people. So, you know, it's not like an interview setting when he's asking these questions. It's like a friend talking to a friend over a beer about your life and just kind of reliving and, and telling those stories. So no longer do you have to play the game of telephone and forget stories. Chance is going to capture your, the biography right there, put it on film. He's going to do it in a Netflix-style documentary that you're going to cherish for generation for generation after that. Uh, check out the website, yourheritagefilm.com, yourheritagefilm.com, or call them up directly. 713-893-8341 Is it dull? Dull is a thick skin Am I forgetting someone? Is this a setup? What is that about? Tech Tech Radio presented by David Gardner's Jewelers If you're listening at home Perplexed while Billy Lucci was answering questions at a press conference I am too we can go to Dalton behind the glass to give us a little reasoning behind that. I, I don't know. Billy did a presser apparently yesterday. You said on the rundown that you wanted Pro Day Sound, so that's what I pulled. You pulled Billy Lucci. Having fun. Asking, the question was, who is the softest employee that works for you? And the only answer he gave was that it wasn't me. Who is the softest employee? He answered it, but I'm not going to out that person on radio. Is it me? It's in the vault. You can come back and check the vault, and I'll show you. All right, show me. I like that. You know me. I don't have thick skin. (laughs) (laughs) It's Texax Radio, presented by David Gardner's Jewelers, here on the Rollo Insurance Studio. Andrew Monaco should be joining us here soon. Man, I I love listening to Monaco. I do. A, I think he's just a great guy. I love that dude. He's just uh, always in a good mood, friendly. But his his calls are iconic, man. We are so blessed to have... Uh, Andrew Monaco here, following up a legend, and Dave South. Good stuff. Let's go to the News and Social Center here. Uh, Anna Rosa Peterson, what is cracking? All right. Jim from Temple says, in response to how the Aggies did in the Combine and in Pro Day, he says the NFL, past and present, has always been full with guys who did poorly in their Combines and Pro Days, Wonderlick tests, etc. But when the NFL bright lights and games that counted came on, became consistent all-pro performers, some of them won Super Bowls rings, too, from Texas A&M and many other schools. Tom Brady was a too-slow six-round pick from Michigan. He wound up doing pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Tom Brady has been phenomenal. Bing. Yep. Hey, I have, I've kind of kept it low recently. I felt the need to do it. There. You got shamed into it. Yeah, I did. I did. I you can bring it back. I'll bring it back. You know what? Let me, I, let me tell you something, David. As someone who's been here longer than you, it doesn't matter what you do. They're going to find something. They're going to find something. Yep. And what happens when you find something in return? They usually get kind of quiet. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to start doing my due diligence, if you know what I mean. Right now, let's talk Millican Reserve, farm-to-table community in College Station. Homes, trails, wide-open spaces. It is a beautiful place to do a trail run, to do an ultra run, to go fishing, to go camping. There's so many great things to do, and obviously live out there. Um, They are dedicated to trading lightly on that land. They want to create a sanctuary for family, for nature, and for community out there. And they really have so many different types of animals you can see there, native 
species to their homeland, preserving that woods, those ponds. You got white-tailed deer, songbirds, rabbits, turtles. It's such a beautiful, beautiful place to go explore and enjoy. You can hike, you can bike, you can canoe, you can do kayaking, equestrian trails, evening yoga. There's so many different things to do, and obviously just beautiful homes, great homes, acreage. You know, the, the kind of you feel like you're far away, but you're really close. Go check them out, MillicanReserve.com. Again, that's MillicanReserve.com. We are back. We call it Tech Tags Radio. We are presented by David Gardner Schulers here in the Rollo Insurance Studio. My buddy Andrew Monaco, the voice of the Aggies, with us. Hey, man. Good morning. How are you? I'm great, sir. Howdy. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Always love having you on the show. It's, uh, I, I said earlier, you, you always are in a good mood. Are you ever mad? I do get mad. Because I see a smile a I lot. I do, but you, I'm happy. You're a happy guy. David, I get, I get the best seat in the house tonight. Yeah, right? you do. I get to work with Dr. John Thornton. Yeah. And they pay me. Isn't that great, man? What do I have to be mad about? Yeah, right? We had, we had Dr. John on yesterday. He was awesome. So I, I made this, I don't want to call it a rant. I just went off on this thing this morning where I was like, we're still playing basketball. Mm-hmm. You know, while schools 90 miles down the road, either direction, mm-hmm. are done for the year. And while a lot of the SEC opponents that we played against and beat in the SEC tournament are out. And while there are teams that got to the tournament that should have been our spot, they're out. Texas A&M is still playing ball. Yeah, this team gets to be together for at least one more night. You hope that it's more, and you get to go to New York City together. But first things first, you have to play Wake Forest. But the reason why this team is in this position and they played so well is because they went through the grind of an eight-game losing streak and didn't fracture. So why would you fracture when the committee made a, a huge mistake? And we're finding out the committee made a big mistake in their seatings and everything. They just didn't do their job. But this team has found a way to win. It's been the most enjoyable Tuesday, they beat Alcorn State, and I thought they played one of their best games in the win over Oregon. So they get to be together for an, a, a longer time, and I think it's a team that enjoys one another. And I'm with you. There are a lot of teams not playing basketball right now. Texas A&M is a team that's playing basketball right now. So before the NIT, I looked at it as like, you know, you know NIT is cool. That's kind of how I felt about it. Like, it's fine. You know, I'd rather be in the NCAA tournament, but it's, it's fine. And now that we're in it, and mm-hmm. they're they're playing so well. I'm like, this is great. Like, because you're not taking on sisters of the poor. You're right. taking on legitimate teams that, to me, would be seated anywhere between six and twelve anyway in the NCAA tournament. They just didn't get in for whatever reason. Yeah, and and what it is is the N- the NIT is not looked upon as the same as the NCAA. But you're exactly right because when they changed the rules for the NIT, if you win your conference but lose in your conference tournament, you're automatically in the NIT. To your point, they would probably be in one of those seeds had they advanced to the NCAA tournament. I'm with you. Now, it changed for me. I'm not going to lie. At, towards the end of the year, I'm like, you know what? The NIT would be a really nice reward for this team. Then they kept winning. And now you're saying, wow, maybe we get to Dayton in a play-in game. Then you're like, nah, heck with Dayton. We'll we want a seed, right? Then the committee does what it does. Emotional. And then you're like, you know what? Let's make the NIT be the best experience we can possibly make it be. But I don't think it's just for March 23rd, David, in 2022. I think this is for the future. I think this really is, uh, can really catapult this program. I loved Tuesday's crowd because that was the community embracing this team and saying, we feel your pain. Right. We're behind you. We're back you. I thought it was warm as well as a celebration for the NIT. Hey, it's a, it's a home game, but I thought there was a warmth there. Saturday was even better with that crowd, and I can't wait to see 
was going to be at Reed Arena tonight. Tonight's going to be crazy. It's going to be fun. For me, I'll ask you the same thing I asked Dr. John Thornton yesterday. Like Watching the transformation of this team up close like you have. Because mm-hmm. you get to see things that a lot of us, A, not only are you close, you're right there on the court. You can see, you can feel the body language, the sweat, all that. But you've seen it happen throughout the season in real time. Yeah, it's special to to see that kind of growth. I'm going to use a word that Dr. John Thornton uses. They coagulate. He, he's used it on the air. And if he's listening, buddy, I do listen to you. I don't just wait for you to stop talking. So I start talking. Think about the different player that Manny Obasiki is right now. Think about a different player Wade Taylor the fourth is right now. Think about how different a player Hayden Hefner is right now. And I talked with Hayden last week before the, Al- uh, the Alcorn State game. And I said, look, we knew you had a three-point shooter coming in. And he said, this staff has allowed me to grow more in my game. This is what they need. Roles change over the course of the season, and these players have absolutely embraced those new roles. Javante Brown has been huge mm-hmm. for this team. That's not even including, David, Boots taking the next step. Quinton Jackson's leadership on this team and how Henry Coleman looks like an Aggie. We all said, wow, he's from Duke, so he must be a good player. Well, we knew he was a good player, but now he's an Aggie. And we're kind of forgetting the schools that we were or where they were before. But right. you just love seeing the players evolve into their new roles. Yeah, it has been fun. And what I have maintained is this is not like a little run. This is now a third of the season that they've been playing at this level. You combine that with what they did in the beginning of the season, which mm-hmm. I know was against inferior opponents. It doesn't matter now. Everybody they've taken on recently. But they weren't close games in the beginning. Yeah, they were right. beating those teams, right? So that was a sign. And Vegas was, I know you lost the first game and you can't get first place in that tournament. And I, but it was a good Wisconsin team. But mm-hmm. you came back, they bounced back against Butler, and then they bounced back after a bad first half, being down by 10, and beat Notre Dame, another, another tournament team. But you're right. It's funny where the focus was on, hey, you guys lost eight in a row. Yeah, we know that. We never disowned that eight-game losing streak through all of this. But that didn't define this team. I think this stretch, to your point, because it's gone so long, it wasn't just three days in Tampa. That was Now, that would have been nice. That would have been a nice sure. punctuation mark. But this is an exclamation point, not just a period at the end of the sentence. And, I, and I'm with you. I like the sustained excellence that they played. Was there any evidence... In, during the eight-game losing streak, that this was possible. Yes, because they were all one-and-two possession games. Yeah. It was that thin line. And, and, the, and the, the running joke at the time was they had the, the T-shirt made, the thin line between mm-hmm. winning and losing. And Buzz and then Wade Taylor the fourth said, we need to get that tattooed on our chest. It was that thin line. They, finding a way to lose isn't the right phrase, but they weren't winning those games. Buzz on his radio show early in the, early in the conference he actually had screenshots of the 10 previous games. Seven were one or two possession games at the under eight timeout. That's how close that was the margin. But here's the difference. They're not winning one and two possession games any longer. These are five and six and seven. They have found the way to win. Better starts. It's no longer having to play from behind. And they got a couple of wins like that. But they're getting the great starts. And they're keeping it timeout to timeout. Buzz has used... He, he mixes the sports metaphors, or, or he's, he's talked about you've got to win each round, to use the boxing analogy, right. and that's timeout to timeout. And it's also like golf. You've got to go on to the next. Okay, that, was, that wasn't a great effort, but after this timeout, we've got to be better. Okay, we may have bogeyed that hole. Now we've got to be better. Let's par or birdie and go from there. Let the pass be the pass. But they've been way more consistent over the 40 minutes, and I thought that came to the forefront on Saturday against Oregon. All right, so Oregon, tough matchup, but... A&M handled them no problem, right? Other than 3-0 when the game started, the rest was all A&M. 
Wake is going to be another mm-hmm. tough challenge. It's a team that's built very similar to A&M in the way they go about their business. Obviously, Steve Forbes' relationship mm-hmm. with this program and with Buzz. Um, when you see tonight, uh, what intrigues you? What scares you? Landis Williams scares me. Yeah, <laughs> it's a terrific player. ACC Player of the Year. Laravia is a good player. A, a terrific compliment. The guard play. They're not very deep, but I don't think they need to be very deep. But you're right. The numbers are strikingly similar. They get to the free throw line an awful lot, and they do not. They they defend without fouling, and that's again. I think Buzz mentioned it yesterday. Some coaches get labeled, right? Steve Forbes always been a good defensive coach, but he's really got a, a good offense there. But I'm going to a- answer your question with a question. When's this team ever backed down from any team, whether Nobody. it's been Kentucky or Arkansas? Or, they haven't. And I just think that's the preparation, what this staff does and how this team absorbs all that information and then transfers that info into their play on the courts. I'm trying to think to myself, if there was, there's maybe been one game this year where they didn't play well, right? Well, I mean, there's been other games they didn't play well in stretches, but like the second LSU game was not a good game. Correct. Tennessee... Didn't play well, but they made it a game at the end, mm-hmm. and they had a chance. They played from behind in both Tennessee games, right? Yeah, right. Which you can't do against the Vols. No, you can't. But LSU, that the second time is the only time that I'm like, they just didn't bring it tonight. Yeah. Other than that, they've brought it every night. And I think that's really been the key, and they know that that's, that's how they have to play. Buzz says, can we bend the game to the way we play? That's what they did against Oregon. That was the Aggie style. That's what they did in the second half against Alcorn State. That's what they did throughout the tournament. They played their style against Florida, against Auburn, against um, Arkansas. Mm -hmm. Very much their style against Arkansas. And when they do that, they just exude such confidence on the floor. You know, I don't know what the it is, but when they have it and they're playing that way, when they play with that supreme confidence, there's almost a joy they share with one another when they're playing like that because they know we're playing our style, we're controlling this game, and it's a fun, fun, fun way to watch. Boots Radford has an awful lot to do with that. So does, so does Quentin Jackson. John Thornton talks about the poise of Tyrese Radford. That is next-level type poise is what he plays with. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you what, we are set up for a nice couple of years here because, yes, Q is going to be hard to replace. It's going to be hard. But... I don't know if people saw Q developing into this role six weeks ago, and he has. Like, you knew he was your best player, but not to this level. Boots was a nice player early on. He's a different player now. Manny is a different player now. Wade, so fast forward. Henry, by the way, who, yeah. who showed glimpses, now has been consistent. Yeah, it's. I just I love to watch that, and then with that comes the responsibility. So if Boots has the ball in his hands. You look, it doesn't always have to be the point guard initiating the offense. It can be the cues and the Boots on this team. Watch how the game begins. It's going to be Manny Obasiki who's yeah. going to initiate that offense. Can you get Can you get the team into the offense? And they can. But it's also nice to have Wade Taylor the fourth run the show and Hassan come off the bench. He's another one who has who has really grown. The one thing that really struck me was over the course of this season, talking with Quentin Jackson, when you know that after his super season is going to come to a super senior season is going to come to a close, what's going to be that legacy? And he has, I don't even say mentor, but his friendship and the relationship with the younger players, with Obasiki, with Taylor, that's what he's going to leave. But he admitted, I can be a better leader. I need to be a better leader. Instead of just saying, hey, I'm a super senior. Everybody follow me. Right. No, you, he wanted to be an even better leader. I think that coincides with how well he's played. His, uh, that's also a big point. 
So I am more in on the NIT than I am with the NCAA tournament, right? And, just, and A, it's the nature of our job, the, our interests, but have you paid attention at all to what's happening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's fun. It's fun. I, I mean, look, this is going to be the – if you pick 68 teams, you would have a great tournament. It's just the way the tournament is. Right. I'm, I, you know, again, I'm, I'm still a little mad because I think they got it wrong, that, that to me. But once you get into that competition, how can Fun. you not watch TCU and Arizona go into overtime, yeah. right? I just think there's so much that goes in the one and done and how it's all magnified. It's To me, it becomes that must-watch. This is the segment where college basketball shines. This is the time of year where it shines, and it's always going to be a great tournament. Baseball-wise, Sloss got those guys playing some pretty good ball. They win the series against LSU. Yesterday against Rice, they score 14 runs. Uh, I think the bullpen's looking better. It's feeling like it is. Just uh, what are you seeing from Schloss and company? Competitive grit was the phrase that he used, didn't yeah. he? He wanted to see that competitive grit, and you saw it in LSU. And all the times that they've had nightmares at the box, right? LSU scores one in the eighth on Friday, but the Aggies come right back with two in the ninth. Two in the bottom of the eighth, Aggies score four on Saturday. And I love the greediness of let's go take three. I love that that attitude. Okay. So it, it they didn't get that and they bounced back against Rice. And they even they even had some trouble at Rice up 8-2 after the Jack Moss Grand Slam mm-hmm. and they give up a six spot. And they had to go to the bullpen because Christian Curtis comes out of that game in the first inning. They've got to go to the pen. But it was that competitive grit. Is Rice as good as A&M? No, but that's why A&M should win those games and you saw some great performances i'm not sure there's a better number eight hitter in the country than logan yep. Britt, right <laughs> two home runs uh my partner john sheshik always says you know what every time i seem to watch logan Britt, he has a great game so he's going to become his new his agent yeah. right now but and it was fun to watch the game through shesh's eyes seeing this team what he saw on tv and over the weekend and to see them in person was really impressive. Jack Moss is one of the best two-strike hitters I have ever seen on any level. You talk, I talked about the, poo, the poise of Boots. Yeah. How about the poise of Jack Moss yeah. at the plate? He is a really tough out. It's a lineup that is long. It's a defense that plays very well, right? There's not a lot of free, but when Schloss talks about allowing that free, the base on balls, the hit batters, that free, the errors, when they keep that down, there's no, it's not a mistake they took two out of three from LSU, that's for sure. You know, and I, uh, I think Billy's the one who mentioned it to us. Sometimes we make our decisions on teams so early. So just look at the football team. After the Arkansas game, after the Mississippi State game, we wanted to write the narrative about that team. And there was so much football to be played, and you saw how they navigated through that. Basketball, the eight-game losing streak. Everybody's writing these stories. It's over, blah, 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 blah. And look at where they are now. I think baseball is a great example of that, too, where they started off nice, but some injuries and some bullpen issues. And we don't know who this team is yet, but we know that they're going in the right direction. Yeah, you lose the entire left side of your infield very early, right? Mm-hmm. Trevor Warner's your best player, has, has the, best, the best weekend in the, in the first weekend. And then you lose your shortstop that you build your entire defense around yeah. in Kali Harrison. So what does it say about Schloss and his staff? making sure that you have a Cole Kaler, who has played three of those infield positions and is now at short, that you have Ryan Targotch and his adaptability to play on the infield, second and third. You have um, Austin Bose has never played second until Friday in Baton Rouge, right. and there he is. Just Again, especially in baseball, David, you go from the cold in the beginning of the season to stinking hot towards the end of the season. And you're right. I think the football is the great analogy. And I fall into that trap where when things aren't going well, you're like, well, where's the next win going to right. come from? And then you see the way basketball is playing or the way baseball is playing. Like, I don't think there's anybody who can beat us. You, you do that. But again, every team ever in every sport evolves 
from the beginning to the end. And you want that improvement. You want to see it. But I think when you see those ingredients to success, I like what Schloss said. We did it now. Now that's in our memory bank. Now we're supposed to do it yep. from here on out. And I love that part of the culture that he's building. Last thing, Pro Day talk. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, I know some of the numbers weren't spectacular, but I still think it's a celebration of the kind of talent that Jimbo has put together here in the past and what the future could look like. Because yesterday was a great day with all NFL teams Same out there and scouts. What about the future? See, I think that's how pro days are going to be from here on out with a whole lot of talent and guys that the NFL is going to like. I think we get so caught up on the pro days and those numbers. This is going to be the meanest thing that I can say. You're doing it against air. Okay, but you still have to look good. And, and, and I think it becomes, hey, I've seen this guy on TV. Or Jimbo always says, hey, put it on tape. You have to put it on tape. Now that you get that, that first look or maybe that's the first time in person seeing someone and you see the size. Look, what DeMarvin Leal has done, the versatility of DeMarvin Leal is why he's going to get drafted, not the numbers that he puts in on pro day. But now you see the size yeah. and you get a chance to talk face-to-face maybe and you realize, man, that's a person we want in our organization. You see a Michael Clemens who... Man, put together, right? Kenyon Green, he's going to the next level again because of that versatility. I, th- I think Pro Day, let's go back to this. You only need one of 32 teams. Right. So I think we make so much about it because it's the big thing in football. And, and it's just, to me, it's the consistency. Teams that select players on Pro Day performances are going to be disappointed the franchise, that's not how you do it. It's got to be part of everything that you measure. But to your point, all those players under Jimbo Fisher, we're going to see a lot of players on Pro Day taking that step from Texas A&M to the NFL. Appreciate you, sir. Absolute pleasure, my friend. Thank you, Andrew Monaco, the voice of the Aggies. All right, when we come back, your text messages and your phone calls on the BCSI hotline, 979-693-1150, or you can text us on that A&B text line, that same number, 979-693-1150. It's Tex-Ags Radio. Uh, offensively, defensively, uh, all the Ken Palm stuff. Coach Forbes has done a great job uh, assembling a roster. I think they are playing the way that he would like to play on both ends of the floor. Uh, very talented players. Coach was coach of the year, had the player of the year. Um, but they're much more than just the player of the year. All right, there he is, Buzz Williams, breaking down Wake Forest. That game is tonight, 6 o'clock. Hopefully many of you will make the trek from wherever you live, if it's in the Brazos Valley, Houston, Austin, Dallas, wherever. Come on out for that game. Give Q the uh, the goodbye that he deserves and that he didn't needs and hopefully it's not a goodbye just maybe a goodbye to Reed Arena hopefully they move on to Madison Square Garden and uh, and continue rolling there is uh, an update for what is happening in the NIT the Bonnies do continue to win they beat Virginia yesterday 52 to 51 and Xavier survived 75 to 73 over Vanderbilt a Vandy team that was playing a lot better towards the end of the season uh, but tomorrow or excuse me today is the big one obviously with A&M and Wake Forest the game right after Hours is Washington State and BYU. They're in the NIT quarterfinal. All right, uh, hour number three is coming up here soon on Texags Radio. The great Ryan Broniger. Well, I don't know why I use that voice. Bronny's going to join us with Recruiting Country. Kendall Rogers talks some Aggie baseball later on in the show. So we have a lot more for you. And if you want to be a part of the conversation, text us up on the AMB text line 979 693 1150 or call us up on the BCSI hotline. That same number, 979-693-1150. You're listening to Tex Radio, presented by David Gardner's Jewelers. 
Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.